everybody. Welcome to the Home Recording Made Easy.com podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. This is episode number 13. I appreciate you coming back and checking out another episode. Before we get started, if you like this podcast and it's helpful to you in any way, please make sure you leave a positive review and share it on your social media pages. It really does help me and I do appreciate it. This week's topic is upgrading your home studio for hybrid mixing. We're going to talk about how do we get involved in that? What do we do first? What my approach is since I'm going through that process as we speak. And I'm going to try to help you in case you're deciding on getting some hardware and adding it to your mixing studio. This will be a great episode for you. So get yourself a notepad, a pen, take some notes, a cool drink, and let's talk about hybrid mixing right here on the Home Recording Made Easy.com podcast. Okay, everybody, welcome to episode 13. So this week we're going to talk about hybrid mixing and upgrading your home studio. And where do you start? I mean, that's a heck of a question. I'm in the middle of that process right now. And I've been for the last few months where I'm going to be adding some hardware to my DAW setup so I can mix with some hardware. And that's a really cool thing. And so we've talked about this before in the past. We've talked about different plugins and what's better plugins or is it better to have hardware is analog better than digital and all that stuff and you know again it's not necessarily a matter of better it's a matter of different and what you want to do and what you want to work with in your particular workflow and what inspires you and makes you more comfortable or most comfortable or if you're someone like me who's been mixing in the box for a long time and you simply just want to try something new. This is a great way to do it. So we're going to talk about hybrid mixing. But when we get started and we talk about, well, where do we start? What do you buy first? You know, what, how do you get involved in all of this? What's the best way to go about this? Well, the way I like to lay this out for you is I want to give you kind of an eight-step approach here. And we really want to talk about before we talk about what's the first piece of gear we buy, right? Because that's, that's what we really want to know. What do we buy first, Dave? Well, the first thing, before you even think about buying hard, where we really got to get make sure we get the basics down around your current situation. So for example, step number one, first tip is your room. We got to look at your room. We have to look at acoustic treatment. Okay, we talk about this a lot in the past, whether it's on the YouTube channel, whether it's part of this podcast, whether it's inside of my training courses. We talk a lot about mixes that don't necessarily translate out of your studio into the real world, whether it be your car, on a computer, on your earbuds, on an iPad, so on and so forth. And a lot of that has to do with the lack of proper, if any, acoustic treatment in your mixing space. So before we talk about buying hardware, let's talk about all the way back. After the music comes out of the speakers, where does it go? It's in your room. Do you have the proper acoustic treatment in your room? Do you have it the proper bass trapping? Do you have currently, before we talk about mixing with hardware and hybrid, can you do mixes that translate well out of your out of your studio? Meaning it sounds great in your studio and then you take it out to the car or you take it into a different listening environment. Does the mix translate? If the answer to that question is yes, then okay, you can check off step number one. We're ready to move on to step number two. If not, then we really have to talk about the acoustic treatment in your room. And we have to make sure that you have the proper acoustic treatment in your room. Now, again, that doesn't mean it needs to cost a lot of money. If you go back one of the episodes in the last three or four weeks, we talked all about acoustic treatment. Go back and listen to that podcast. <clears throat> but we need to make sure that your room is in check. Make sure that your acoustic treatment's in check. We have to make sure that whatever you're listening to coming out of your monitoring system, which we're going to talk about next, that you can hear it accurately 
so you can make good decisions because whether it's with plugins or whether it's with hardware, if you don't have an accurate representation of what's going on in your mix, you will not make good decisions on either format, hardware or plugin. So that's step one. The next thing we need to talk about, next thing you need to think about before we start buying our first, you know, compressor or hardware EQ is your monitors or your headphones and speaker placement. Okay, so we've talked about this before as well. Again, we're going backwards from, we're starting from the very end of the chain of where the sound goes. The room, it's coming out of what? The speakers, right? That do you have good monitors? Okay, and we've talked about this before in in other podcasts as well. It doesn't make sense to go out and spend thousands of dollars on hardware, gear, compressors and such, racks and patch bays and all those things if you don't have a good monitoring system. You don't want to spend thousands of dollars on EQs and compressors and and listen to that stuff through a $300 pair of studio monitors. It just doesn't make sense. A $300 pair of monitors could be a good second set of monitors for referencing. You should always have an inexpensive set of speakers to reference on, but you want to have the best studio monitors that your budget will allow. Now, again, it's a very personal thing very personal preference. You have to really listen to them in your environment. You have to live with speakers for a while and you have to break them in and check them out. Okay. Again, like we've talked about in other podcasts, when you just look at the the main name brands and there's lots of great name brands out there and they all make really high-end expensive monitors and they make very budget-friendly monitors and everything in between. So the brand really doesn't matter. It's your ear and what you like. From a price perspective, and again, I'm going to give you a guideline. When you're looking at a set of powered studio monitors, meaning powered, they have amplifiers in them, so they power themselves. That's how most of them are today. You don't need a separate amplifier. A good set of monitors, a decent set of monitors, start somewhere around the $1,500 a pair to $3,000 a pair setup. Okay, so if you cut that in half, that's per speaker. Usually when you start buying higher end monitors, they don't sell them in pairs, they sell them per speaker. So you want to be looking at, if you can, a minimum of 750 bucks a speaker, $1,500 a pair. Okay. Now you can, you know, once you get up to about, you know, say $4,000 a pair, $2,000 a monitor, once you start getting up above that, it becomes diminishing returns. Meaning as if you get, if you have the ability to spend three to $4,000 on a pair of studio monitors, you got some really great monitors that you can do some really good critical listening on and really do great mixes on. Absolutely for sure. Again, every brand will, 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 will vary in price. And, you know, again, you want to make sure that you fit the speaker to your room, meaning that you don't want to have a real tiny room, like a 10 by 10 room and have a monitor, a near field monitor that has a 12 inch woofer in it. That's probably not a good idea. It's too big for the room. So again, you want to consult with someone that's a professional in this area. I always tell everyone, make sure you go to sweetwater.com. All the links are in the show notes below because with Sweetwater, you can tell them about your mixing environment. You can tell them about your budget and they can point you in the right direction. The other great thing about that is that 
If you don't like the monitors after 30 days because they're just not your thing, you can send them back and try something else until you find a monitor that really works for you. Again, name brands to kind of look at. And again, there's many of them. JBL, Focal, uh, Ocean Way, uh, Barefoot, which those are pretty high end. Um, and there's others out there. KRK, I think, makes some good stuff. Adams makes some good stuff. But talk to someone like a sales engineer at Sweetwater and tell them what you're looking for. But again, you want to make sure you have a good set of studio monitors in a well-treated room or else all this expensive gear and hardware really doesn't matter if you can't hear accurately what's coming out of the speakers. Okay, so that's important. Speaker placement and the speaker placement and how it's set up in your room, you got to get all that dialed in. And again, we have lots of podcast episodes talking about that. You can always email me at homerecordingmadeeasy.com and I'd be glad to help you. But we want to make sure we have a good set of monitors properly placed in our mixing space in a well-treated doesn't mean expensive, but well-treated room so we can hear accurately. That's step two when we talk about hybrid mixing. You notice we haven't bought anything yet, right? Because we got to get this stuff first. Okay, the third thing you want to think about and you want to make sure you have in check is your audio interface, especially the A to D and D to A conversion. Audio to digital, digital to audio converters. Why is that important? We talked about this in one of the last episodes about converters. There is a difference, again, and the sound quality of great converters. When you're running your audio out of your DAW through a piece of analog hardware, it's gotta go from digital to analog. So we're gonna go from D to A. So the converter inside of your audio interface has to be able to convert that signal and it has to be able to have enough headroom so you can hit it hard to make sure it doesn't distort, it doesn't degrade the sound. That's a real layman's terms way talking about converters. It gets a lot more technical than that. We're not going to talk about that in this podcast, but that's the basic thing. Okay. So you want to have a really good D to A, A to D converter. Now an audio interface will also have audio inputs. And we talked about that in one of the other episodes where if you're not doing a lot of tracking and you're just doing primarily mixing, well, maybe you only need an audio interface with one or two inputs, or maybe you need an audio interface that doesn't have any preamps, something like, um, uh, Apogee Orion or something like that, where they're just ins and outputs. And then you can buy some of your analog hardware to be your inputs. You can buy a preamp, a compressor, and an EQ. You could do that as well. You just buy a unit that just has IO, ins and outs. Okay, so you want something, again, that has a really good set of converters. So you have to look at, well, how much hardware do you plan on buying down the road? Will, will dictate how many inputs and outputs you have. Do you need any preamps on that interface? And then once again, what is the DDA converter? Again, there's lots of great name brands out there. There's Lynx and there's Apogee and there's Universal Audio and there's RME and there's others. And you could spend a ton of money or you can spend a very little amount of money. And just like with the monitors, you get what you pay for when you talk about audio converters. Again, if you wanna talk about a general price bracket, um, somewhere around the $2,000 to $3,000 range will get you a really great interface with a good set of D to A, A to D converters. Now, again, you can get higher quality stuff than that, but again, it just becomes diminishing returns at that point. But if you have the budget and you want the best of the best, you can research that out. Again, talk to your Sweetwater sales engineer. We'll help you with that. But what I use, just so you know, I use a Universal Audio Apollo X6, which has a really high-end converter. It only has two preamps on it because I only track one thing at a time. Like this podcast, my voice is going through the uh, Universal Audio Apollo right now. Um, and it also has um, additional outputs on the back for me to hook up additional hardware. Okay, that's just one option. That's about a $2,000 interface, okay? There's a big difference in an audio converter 
between a $2,000 interface and a $500 interface. A huge difference. I've AB'd those things in my studio. I've talked about that in other episodes. Make sure you get a good audio, uh, audio interface with good ADD and DDA converters. Really, really important. Okay, so that's the next thing. Step number four, before we buy any hardware, and probably the last step before we start talking about hardware, what about your monitor control system if you have one? In other words, do you have like a control center where you have your different pairs of speakers hooked into it so you can AB between different sets of speakers? They may have some headphone outputs if you're tracking, oops, pardon me, if you're tracking um, musicians in your studio, um, a monitor controller of some kind. Okay, that also, because you're signaling your sound runs through it before it hits your speakers, it goes from your audio interface into your controller, out to your monitors, out to your speakers, you wanna make sure you have a high quality piece there as well. I just learned that lesson. I was using for years the PreSonus monitor station, which is a great thing, it works perfectly well. And I recently, in my journey going to hybrid, as I upgraded my converters, as I just talked about, I upgraded my monitor station to a Heritage Audio RAM 2000. Again, there's many things on the market, um, which is about a thousand bucks. It was instantly noticeable the clarity and the detail that I was able to hear out of my Focal studio monitors that I've had for five years, that I absolutely know how those speakers sound. And when I switched out my audio, my converters, my audio interface and I switched out this controller, I can instantly hear a difference. It was about, a, I'd say about a 10% difference in clarity. Absolutely true. Again, what model do you buy? What brand names? There's lots of them out there. There's Dangerous Music, there's Heritage Audio, there's Drummer, and there's there's uh, there's others. There's others. Uh, uh, what is it? Who makes the Avocet? The Avocet's the uh, Crane Song Avocet. That can be very expensive. Um, and I think there's even some that are even more expensive, you know, in the thousands, the multiple thousands of dollars. Now, again, you don't need to spend all that much. But again, I... You, Keep in mind, all these things mean that your system is only as good as your weakest link. So again, I would not have a really high-end converter in a really high-end interface going through a cheap set of monitors, and I wouldn't have a high-end converter or um, a high-end interface going into a cheap monitor controller, okay? So again, I bought the, the Heritage Audio RAM 2000. It's about 1000 bucks. Works great, instantly heard a difference. So that's something to consider. Make sure that you get something that's in line from a quality standpoint, to what you have for an interface, to what you have for speakers, okay? It's a system, this is a system, okay? The system is as good as all the parts put together and it's only as good as your weakest link, okay? So those are the top four things you need to think about before we buy any kind of hardware, okay? Now, we're into hardware. We got our we got our room checked out. We got our monitors checked out. We got our audio interface and our D to A and A to D converters checked out. We have a monitor controller checked out. Now. Where do you start as far as gear goes? Well, what I recommend you do and what I've did is let's start from the end of the chain. Okay, we're working backwards. So I would start from the master bus, okay, with a stereo compressor, stereo EQ, saturation or color boxes, something like that. I would start at the master bus. That's where that's where I would, that's where you're gonna get the most bang for the buck and where I would start. Before you start worrying about treating individual tracks or buses of tracks, unless you just have an unlimited amount of money and you want to buy all the equipment at once, you can do that. But most of us don't have that. So I would say start from the master bus. What I did is I started with a 500 rack series, bought a 500 rack chassis, bought a stereo bus compressor, bought a couple of um, saturation 500 series um, uh, modules because it has to were mono and I had to buy two. So it's in stereo, right, for the master bus and a stereo EQ. And then also a little bit of a uh, color box as well. 
um, a little bit of harmonic distortion, that kind of thing. Got my master bus chain set up. Okay, that's what I did first. And that's what I would recommend you do. <clears throat> From there, I would say then move back to one step back to your buses. So for example, if you have, you know, you have your individual drum tracks, kick, snare, toms, overheads, rooms, they all would typically go to a drum bus. Maybe my next set of hardware would be on my buses so I can run my whole set of drums. My whole drum kit could be pre-mixed in the DAW, sent out of my DAW into some hardware, maybe an EQ and a compressor, and then back in to the DAW before it hits the master bus. That, that's one workflow. There's many ways you can do this, but that would be one common workflow is to work on the groups or the buses first, okay? Then after you do that, number seven is then you can work on the individual elements or maybe you can have some channel strips. So you may have, let's say, you know, a Neve preamp, a Neve EQ, and a Neve compressor, mono, each one, um, where you can run, let's say, a lead vocal out of your DAW into that signal chain and then back into the DAW so you can treat the lead vocal with some, with some hardware um, or a snare drum or a pair of overheads or something like that on the individual elements, okay? So those, that's how I would do it. So I would start from the master bus, work back to the groups, and then work to the individual elements. The other thing you can do, which I'm going to start doing as well as, as I just mentioned, I bought um, a single channel Neve 1073 preamp with a Neve EQ and a Neve compressor in the 500 series. It's in my 500 series rack. And before mixing, I'm going to try running some of the individual tracks that were maybe recorded in not the best environment, not on really good, you know, preamps and converters and kind of pre-cook it, if you will, run it through the preamp, run it through some EQ and compression and re-record it back into the DAW before we start mixing. Now that's an extra step in the workflow, but what that can achieve for you if the tracks weren't recorded really well when they were recorded on really cheap and expensive equipment is it can kind of give you a nice foundation from which to start before you start adding plugins and doing those kinds of things. That's another um, system that you can check out. And again, all this stuff will be on my YouTube channel. So you can watch these videos if you want to see that stuff in action. Okay. So that's how I would do it. Now, the other thing you want to consider is you want to consider things like patch bays. Um, you got to make sure you have the computer power to be able to be routing all this stuff in and out. You know, make sure you have a, a relatively updated computer, okay? You don't want to have a 10-year-old computer with all this stuff because you may have some problems with latency and things like that. You want to make sure you have good, high-quality cables. I can't stress that enough. I talked about that in other episodes. You have to have in my opinion, good, high-quality cables. You don't want to put thousands of dollars worth of gear and use the cheapest cables imaginable. They will be noisy. They won't sound good. They'll, de de uh, um, they'll deteriorate the sound. It will. Now, what do I use? I use Mogami Gold cables throughout my whole studio. It's not the most expensive cable on the market, but it's not a budget cable. A 10 or 15-foot XLR cable runs you about $60 to $70. Okay, but I want to buy my cables once and I never have to buy them again. So slowly over time, I've added cables. When I bought my first set of hardware for my hybrid setup, keep bumping the microphone, excuse me, um, and I um, bought my 500 series rack, I bought about $200 worth of Mogami cables to get from my audio interface to my hardware. Okay, I only have to buy it once. It's a one-time expense. I can reuse those cables over and over, but it's super important that you have high-quality cables. The other thing you want to consider when going hybrid is you want to have, like we said in the beginning um, when we talked about monitors, a multiple set of speakers. So if you have an inexpensive pair of monitors today and you're going to do an upgrade, don't get rid of them. Keep them as your secondary reference monitor. 
okay? Or if you have a high-end set of speakers already, you maybe want to consider getting a, a pair of crappy speakers. I have the Avatone little mix cubes. I have two of them. Um, they're powered. That's, you know, they, they sound really nasty in the mid-range, and that's perfect. It can really tell you how your mid-range sounds in a mix, and it kind of represents what a lot of people are going to be listening to your music on. Car speakers, laptop speakers, earbuds, when they don't sound very good. The Avatone Mix Cubes are really good for that. Again, go to sweetwater.com and check those out. That's my second set of speakers. So I mix on my Focal Solo 6, uh, Solo BE6s is what I have with a Focal subwoofer. Um, that's my main set of mixing speakers. And then I have my Avatone Mix Cubes as my secondary set of speakers. And then I use a set of headphones as a third way to check. So I know that when my mix leaves my studio, it translates well. So multiple monitors are something that's really important and something to consider. Now, other things to consider. We've been through the eight things now in review. Room and acoustic treatments, number one. Monitors or headphones and speaker placement is number two. Audio interface, especially the converters, is number three. A monitor controller, if you have one, is number four. Then we get into where should you start as far as buying gear. The master bus first, your compressor EQ, saturation, color, etc. Then the groups or buses you want it for hardware, and then the individual elements. That would be the order I would go in. And then number eight, the last thing is you may have to consider patch bays, Make sure you have a decent computer that can keep up with all this stuff, cables, and multiple monitors as well. Okay, those are the eight things. Now, some other things to consider when we talk about hybrid, things to keep in mind. It's a different workflow than working solely in the box. It's somewhat, could be, it is, could be even slower than working in the box just with plugins. But there's a compromise and there's a trade-off and there's pros and cons to everything. But here's a few other things that you need to consider before you go hybrid. The first thing, and probably the most important thing to me anyway, is hardware is not recallable unless it's digitally controlled. So what does that mean? If you have a bunch of typical traditional hardware with knobs on them and you're doing a mix and you, you set up your master bus compressor EQ, maybe you have some other hardware on your drum stems or on your vocal bus or whatever, and you have things sort of set away a certain way for that particular mix. Once you export that mix, if it's a client project especially, and you're sending them off to them for review, you really can't touch the hardware and switch any of the settings and work on another project because if they want to go back and make a tweak, you now have to reset all that hardware back manually. Now, the only way to really do it, and what people do today is they take their, their smartphone and they take photos of the actual settings and put those photos in the session file. So if you have to go back and reset things up, you can do it. So just keep in mind that the more hardware you have, the more recalling stuff you have to worry about and manage. You don't need to do that with plugins. Okay, so that's one downfall. But, the, you know, you're sacrificing that, but you're also now gaining the tactile feel of hardware. In certain cases, you'll have hardware pieces that maybe achieve things that plugins can't do. And you may prefer the sound of the hardware. Okay, so that's kind of the trade-off, you know. But keep in mind that most hardware is not recallable. Now, there are some pieces out there, and there are more and more manufacturers that are making hardware that's digitally controlled. One company that comes to mind is Wes Audio. I don't own any of their stuff, so they don't know who I am. But they make plugins or hardware that connects to your computer via USB cable, and they have a an interface inside of your DAW that looks like a plugin. It behaves like a plugin, and when you change something on the hardware, it changes it in the plugin. And when you change something in the plugin, it changes it physically on the hardware. 
okay? And that's saved. So when you open up that session again, whatever that hardware was at when you first saved it, it will go back to those settings. So it's it's like using a hardware plugin. Think of it that way. But there's not many companies that do that right now. It's still a newer technology. If you want the old tried and true SSL EQs, Neve preamps, LA2As, 1176s, Pultec EQs, those kinds of things, those are just physical knobs that are not digitally controlled. So keep that in mind. So if you might be able to find some hardware that is digitally controlled and that will help you with the recall, but just keep that in mind. Okay. Number two, the other thing to consider is hardware is not necessarily better. Okay. Many plugins are very close in sound. However, hardware can be faster and more fun to work with as far as dialing in a sound. You're not dealing with a mouse and a keyboard and a trackball anymore and looking at a computer screen. You're dealing with tactile feel. It's the very same kind of thing when we talk about mixing with physical faders on a console versus a mouse and a keyboard. Some people prefer one over the other. A keyboard and a mouse or a trackball typically will be faster if you've been working in the box all this time, but there is something very gratifying of having a piece of hardware and a knob and lights, and you can just reach over and twist the knob, okay? It's just something to consider, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's better. And better is very subjective. It may be better to you. In other words, the hard, let's say the stereo bus compressor that you're going to get in hardware, can a plug-in sound equally as good? Certainly it can in a lot of cases, depending on the plug-in, depending on the hardware. In certain cases, maybe not so much. Maybe you prefer the hardware. So you got to just keep that in mind that if you can't get good mixes with plugins, don't think that going out and buying a bunch of hardware is going to solve your bad mixing. It's not. It'll either enhance it, maybe make it more creative for you as an engineer, maybe make it more fun for you as an engineer and a musician, and there's something gratifying about having a piece of hardware and it's not some digital thing in, in the box, but it isn't necessarily better. And in some cases, on certain things, plugins are more, are more superior in sound than even the hardware, so keep that in mind. Also keep in mind that hardware can be very expensive. Choose your pieces carefully and really get to understand what it does. Spend some time with it. In other words, just like with plugins, there is no magic bullet. You should have less plugins in fewer pieces of hardware and really get to know what those pieces can and can't do and choose wisely. And also buy from a place. And if you buy quality things, you can try things out. If you don't like it, you can send it back. Try something else like sweetwater.com. Links are in the description box. <laughs> or you can resell them on the used market. So, for example, if you bought something like a Neve 1073 preamp, a 500 series module, which I did, that preamp's about a little under $1,000. Now, I know I'm going to love the 1073. It's a classic sound. But let's say at one point I didn't like that. I wanted to try something else. You can easily sell that 1073 preamp for 75% of what I paid for it. Easily. Maybe even more than that. Why? Because they don't come on the market very often because when people buy them, they keep them. And two, because it's a tried and true high quality piece. It has good resale value. Whereas if you buy a, a, a knockoff brand that's not very good or some third party no name brand uh, thing that says it's kind of like that and they use a bunch of cheaper components and it looks the same, but it really doesn't sound the same. And let's say you paid 400 bucks for that thing as opposed to a thousand. When you go to sell it, you'll be lucky if you could get 150 bucks for it because if it's not a top name brand, most people aren't going to be interested in it. So keep that in mind. Choose your pieces carefully. Try to choose pieces that you 
get that you can't replicate with a plugin. You know, there are certain things like that, you know, so just choose your stuff wisely. Just don't try to replace all your plugins because you're not going to be able to do that unless you have an unlimited amount of budget. But try to choose the things that's going to complement what you already have going on with plugins or something that it can do something that a plugin can't necessarily do. Okay. And also, Keep in mind, and we talked about this a few minutes ago, cables can also become very expensive. Get good quality cables and make sure you realize that for every piece of hardware that you're going to hook up to your audio interface or to your I.O., you got to have heart, you got to have good cabling, and sometimes you have to have things like D-sub cables, and those can get expensive. Um, but again, get good quality stuff. You'll only have to pay for them once, but don't forget, cabling can add up, and this is where most people chintz out, and they don't buy good quality cables, and as I said three or four times already in this podcast, that is a mistake, okay? Make sure you get good quality stuff. And those are kind of my tips and advice for someone who's getting started with hybrid mixing. You wanna check out some hardware. You can do a lot of research on YouTube. There's lots of demos of different pieces on YouTube, but again, those are difficult to really tell what things sound like over YouTube, as you can imagine. The only way you really know is by getting it into your studio and spending some time with it. So as I said before, if you buy things on the used market or whether you buy it brand new, if you buy name brand quality pieces, you'll have no problem trying to resell them. If you try things for a while and you don't like it, or if you buy things, like I said, from like Sweetwater, you have with 30, I think 30 or 30, 40 days to return something. So if you spend two weeks with a compressor and it's just not your vibe, you can return it. They'll give you full credit and you can swap it out for another one until you find something that you really like. Hardware is different in that, like than plugins in that, it, everything sounds a little different from each other and it's really a personal preference and a personal taste and you have to be able to spend time with something, really get to know what it can and can't do before you know whether it can really live in your studio. And that's the same same thing with buying guitars or guitar amplifiers or anything like that. When you buy things online, when you can't try it out for yourself firsthand in your environment, you get a guitar home, it may be a great guitar, but it may not connect with you as a player. Well, same thing with hardware. You could get you know, you could get a bunch of hardware together and it just doesn't connect with you. You have to find the pieces that really connect with you. So that is it for this week's episode. Again, how to upgrade your studio to start hybrid mixing. Once again, make sure if you found this episode helpful, you give me the thumbs up. Make sure you give a five-star review if you would. I would really appreciate that. And also, make sure you share this link on your social media and turn other people onto the podcast because the more people that are listening to the podcast, the more episodes I will be willing to make for you all. And I hope it was helpful. Also, make sure you go to homerecordingmadeeasy.com. And in the show notes below, I have a coupon code for you, PODCAST30. If you use PODCAST30, it will take 30% off any training course on my website. And you can check that out at homerecordingmadeeasy.com. Also, if you really want to get into mixing and the craft of mixing, make sure you check out what I have going on over at mixingmadeeasy.net. And until next week's podcast, I've been Dave with homerecordingmadeeasy.com, mixingmadeeasy.net. Thank you so much for listening, and I will see you all next week. Take care, everybody.